Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast. I'm Sally. I'm Linda. I'm Ing. And we're moving along. Welcome back everyone to Unlucky episode number 13. Um, this week we're going to talk about something that's pretty special to me. So hang on tight and we'll get started after we do our weekly recap. So um, Linda, shall we start with you? Um, so on Wednesday, me and Ming went to Rails, uh, which is... What is Rails? What is Rails? It's like when drinks are cheap. Okay. <laughs> it's like on the... Alcoholic drinks. Alcoholic drinks yeah. are cheaper because it's on the bottom, bottom rail. The bottom rail. Oh, I feel that's like why? People, huh? That's why it's, it's on the bottom yeah. rail. They're like, because they're using their cheapest, like... Oh, so you only get cheap alcohol. Yeah, like cheap. if you buy something special, it's not going to be on sale, mm. but like... We, we got, got vodka crayon. And a uh, uh, rum and, rum and coke. coke. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was only like a dollar or two dollar each. Mm-hmm. Was it good? It got better. I think <laughs> it was because... Does alcohol rise to the top, Sally? Of cranberry? Is it more uh, dense? I don't know. I don't know okay, density by heart. I think, I think that might have been the case. The if I use my intellectual mind. <laughs> it's because, yeah, the first few sips was like really nasty olive vodka. And then we mm-hmm. kept sipping. This juice. This is good. <laughs> or maybe it was because we just kept drinking. Yeah. And it was super strong. Like, I you have know. to finish this. But mm-hmm. how did it feel going out after like 10 years? <laughs> yeah, so long. I, mean, I still get like out? nervous going, like entering the the bar. Like I'm holding out my ID oh my and like gosh. my Even cash. Though we're and all stuff. 21. <laughs> so this is okay. Yeah, but it was it was okay. It was fun when we got dancing and they mm-hmm. played good music. Mm-hmm. They played a lot of stuff that I don't know which music, like I don't want to keep up with the TikTok times. TikTok music? Yeah. Yeah, TikTok music. Renegade. They played the Renegade. Renegade. But I knew the Maluma songs they played, mm. so that was fun. Yeah, Laura loved that you knew that. Actually, mm. all of my friends that went really liked you a lot. Ooh. Okay. But yeah, I went with Ming's, like, RA friends. Don't inflate her head. Yeah. <laughs> no, me, I met a fan. Oh, I didn't meet okay, what? I it directly met a fan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have to explain. Well, who are flying a fan? It's someone who went to our high school. Do you know but, her? No, I don't know her, so okay. I feel, like, bad that I don't remember her. But she's, like, a friend of Ming's friend who went out with us, and oh, then afterwards no. she told me that her friend, like, talked to her about how she knew me, how she, like, liked my art and stuff. So mm. that was really a nice. A nice ego boost. A nice ego boost. Oh, wow. Yeah. But going out was fun, Sally. You should have went. No. No. <laughs> okay, I think it was, no, the beginning was pretty rough when we were pre-gaming in my room, and it was just, like, sitting there, kind of. Christine had her TikTok. <laughs> playlist happening but we were all why'd just... you pre-game in your room and not linda's okay because it, it went back and forth for a while there was two people they could have came but here. at first it was gonna be like six people because oh. we invited other people and like um other friends and then linda was like oh that's too many people and i agree that was a lot um so then it like got switched back and six forth. people is too many people yeah <laughs> we're true introverts and then it ended up like people were like oh no we can't go out because of corona <laughs> which actually though fair. i was kind of like worried about your affair. There was a lot of people there. Call, yeah, yeah but it was very crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to maintain six feet di- distance from each other. No that did not happen. <laughs> I mean, that's not happening right now. One of us could. Okay. Anyways, yeah, it was at Lin- uh, it was at my place, and then it was kind of awkward, and then we went. Mm-hmm. To yeah, and we stood in and line. It was, it was like yeah. dot dot dot. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I liked seeing Carlos, one of our older friends from like mm-hmm. freshman year. Um, we haven't seen I haven't seen him in a while and we met up with him like once we left the bar and we got marathon fries and stuff like that so we got oh. to catch up with him and it was really cool it was a well-rounded it was nice. yeah it was night. good yeah. it was good Ming got pranked it was like <gasps> the most elaborate prank what? I've seen okay so the RAs in our building are having this prank war between the girls and the guys and um, last week we filled like probably a hundred cups of water like plastic cups with water wait that was the yeah girl the picture thing? yeah and we put it in front of mandy one of the guy ra's rooms mm-hmm. and um we put like a cup of water on his handle so he couldn't even reach over to open it or else <laughs> it would spill the water and so we thought wow we're so clever and whatever and it was like a uh, woman's day international mm-hmm. woman's day so we like put in food dye to make the symbol the female symbol mm-hmm. we're like wow female. we're amazing <laughs> and then um yeah, when we came back from the bar last night, they had somehow had cups of water upside down. So they like apparently they put a piece of paper on and the top. They, of like, and they like rotated it, flipped oh, it over. Yeah. So you can't lift up the cup without spilling it spill the water. Oh my God. And yeah. then I was like, okay, there's only one row. I can definitely like step over it. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I grabbed my handle, there's the one night I left my door unlocked. Mm-hmm. Never leave your doors unlocked, people. 
and there was a cup of water sitting on the handle or somewhere in my room so that when I grabbed my handle, it, like, spilled. Oh, my gosh. So we, um, instead of immediately eating our marathon fries, we ended Scrambling up around. cleaning all <laughs> the water. And then Linda was, like, trying to expertly, like, flip over. Like, keep the water the inside the cup. I mean, some of it stayed in, right? And I yeah. was able to water my plants. <laughs> but, like, a lot of it came out, so we mm-hmm. had to, like, clean that up. So I got pranked last night, yeah. But anything else in your week, Linda? Besides that wild <laughs> Wednesday night? I mean, I think we're all kind of dealing with the same thing, which is, like, the coronavirus closing our mm-hmm. school. So I think as RAs, we had a lot more to kind of deal with. So we had to pick duties, and mm-hmm. it's, like, a whole thing where three of us had to be on duty, and we're doing, like, three buildings at once. So and then more duty than normal? Not than like... normal, but, like, it's kind of like break duty, mm-hmm. where some people get more. Okay. Yeah, but we just signed up for that, and then some of us had to stay a bit over break, which I kind of don't mind because it's emptier, so mm-hmm. it's like the risk seems lower mm-hmm. i guess but it's kind of like maintaining the peace of like residents who are like freaking out because yeah. some people are like like yeah. have to stay here mm-hmm. yeah it's there's so many just like logistical issues with that i can't even imagine like the decision making of so our school has spring break coming up and then the week after classes are canceled and the two weeks after that week we have online virtual classes and the dorms are still closed. Mm-hmm. So like all my residents have to leave and they're like, what do we do? And a bunch of people want refunds. And it's just mm-hmm. like, there's too much going on because also people are bringing up the point, like people who don't have access to like technology at home or like mm-hmm. internet, reliable internet, how are they going to do their classes? And then other people don't even want to be in class because they're like, we're going to get sick. So like, it's like balancing that. Like, yeah. how do you, mm-hmm. I guess it's a lose-lose situation, honestly. Mm-hmm. And then also for like things that aren't able to be online, like labs. So mm-hmm. for me, I'm taking a lab currently and I'm also teaching lab. So both of them have been really like impacted by this because we're not going to be able to do a bunch of things that we should have done during those weeks. And mm-hmm. then all the instruction is going to be online, which means that we're never going to get the experience in class. And mm-hmm. they're never like my students are never going to learn these like certain techniques like mm-hmm. fully. So it's kind of like you're not getting the full education that you should be getting mm-hmm. and it, but it's it, yeah it's so hard though because like you also don't want them to get sick yeah, from corona yeah. so like mm. i don't know There's no for us it's like our last semester which makes it so like sad. weirder because we're uh, yeah. losing all yeah. of this time in our last okay, our last time someone here. um posted a a tweet or something that they would like it's kind of like really intense for seniors i guess because i at least i figured i had like okay i have two months still to like um, get used to the idea of not being in school to apply to more jobs, you know, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden that's the possibility of not even coming back for the semester is like pretty real. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, now I have to like, I'm back living at home again. Like, yeah, I still go to work. So <laughs> it's like real life. School it's coming already, all of a yeah. sudden, like all yeah. of a sudden, this is what I'm going to be doing after I graduate and it's here already. And it was kind of, I don't know, it's just affecting you in so many different ways and, mm-hmm. like, everyone is affected. Like, even when it comes to something as stupid as buying your cap and gown for graduation, it's kind mm-hmm. of, like, a toss-up in the like, air. Are you going to graduate Whether, on Google like, Hangouts? Yeah. <laughs> are they even going to have it in-person graduation? Like, should I buy it? But then there's also sales, so, like, <laughs> I bought it. We're going to take pictures. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be, we're going to borrow yours for the pictures. <laughs> okay. So, I guess no group photo. <laughs> we can all wear one. <laughs> I'll huddle under yeah. one. Anyways, yeah, there's just been a bunch of things. And then at the same time, before it was announced, life life went on as, like, regular, yeah. I guess. Even though we all heard the rumors that were floating around, which was really weird. It was, like, limbo. It's like, I couldn't really believe that the school shut down until it was official. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 But how were, like, the rest of your weeks? Do you want to add anything? Um, besides uh, coronavirus, I went out with you on Wednesday. On Tuesday night, I went out um, to Buffalo Wild Wings. Buffalo Wild Wings? <laughs> no, Wings. Because <laughs> um, it was uh, the half sa- the half price sale, and it was one of the Ari's um, birthdays. Uh, yo, Buffalo Wild Wings is really tasty, but it's like a purgatory. It's so expensive. Like, their, their service is slow. Oh, that. So <laughs> slow. We were there for three hours. Three what? hours just sitting there. Was it good? And we only had our food for like 30 minutes of those three oh hours. Oh, my gosh. Because we had to wait in line because we had a big party. Um, and then once we sat down, they got us drinks. But then they were like, I don't know. I just, I guess they assumed that we would keep ourselves occupied because <laughs> they didn't take our order for, like, another half hour. Did you, like, try to flag down the people? So, me personally, I am a oh my gosh. passive person. So, I didn't flag them down, but someone else did But eventually. And mm-hmm. then it took a while for it to come out. But it was fun to celebrate 
um i don't know i feel like i'm kind of getting closer to the staff but then as soon as i get closer it's like we're all gone for a month um and then yeah tonight i got some hot pot with some friends before we potentially don't see each other for the rest of the semester so Mm. who knows you know what about you sally any other things any pottery updates we need to know about i finally moved on to glazing so i just came back from glazing today today's thursday when we're recording this to clarify glazing is not coloring right it is oh it is okay yeah so glazing is it's i don't really know what it's made of but basically you can either like dip your pottery in it or you could paint it on mm-hmm. and then if you're using a glaze it when, once you fire it it'll become shiny mm-hmm. so and then it also also like um when you glaze things it kind of like melts in the kiln so it drips down so if you drop like if you paint oh, a like line on your if you paint a line on your pottery it'll like come drip marks mm-hmm. so that's kind of interesting so i kind of played with that today and then um there's also this other thing that's called uh, underglaze or something. I think it's underglaze. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it's more like paint where you paint it on, and for the you can paint it on your pottery during the first round of firing when you're just like turning your clay into ceramic, mm-hmm. and then for the second round of firing before that you can paint a clear or you can dip it in a clear glaze and that's what makes it shiny. Mm-hmm. So there's like two different techniques you can use to paint or color your pottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it does the coloring and making it shiny at the same time. Um, for glaze, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Which one did you do? I did just glaze because I didn't want to fire. I didn't paint mine mm-hmm. beforehand, so I didn't want to fire it again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you do like a design or anything? Um. So for one of them, I try to do something cool. Like I, the inside is like a different or no. Okay, so I tried to make it so that the inside was a different color from the outside. So you, for that, you have to pour the glaze into your bowl or whatever mm-hmm. container, mm-hmm. and then pour it back out but i didn't pour it out cleanly so there were like drip marks so i didn't i just ended up dumping the whole thing in the glaze and then taking it out and then for and then i tried to like paint like a little design on the outside Uh and hopefully Mm. it drips out nicely but we'll see so you said that Um, if you make a line it'll drip is there a way to not make it drip because i've seen like so i guess the only way to not make it drip is to paint it beforehand and then use a clear glaze oh okay because the paint beforehand i don't think um does the whole like dripping thing pottery actually takes a lot of like four forethought like yeah. you have to like think ahead uh-huh. almost i don't know if yeah. i can do that also like changes in the mm-hmm. ceramic and the kiln kind of i, I remember when i did smaller in, camp, in the kiln people were like what happened to my <laughs> pottery because it came out so different um, than, like, like the color do you mean or like the shape yeah, the color also I, the I glaze them, like, especially they kind of squished down in the like you, the shape a little bit yeah, yeah. making the shape can get ruined really like really easily and mm-hmm. even when you think it's hard like today it was my pottery is pretty hard but then I actually accidentally scratched it <gasps> with my nail and it left a dent in it okay that's like <laughs> the worst part of painting your nails yeah. when you think it's <laughs> when you think it's that dry every time <laughs> and then you're like oh and then there's like a scratch <laughs> in it like what you were just yeah. dry but so what is the update on your pottery or like how are you going to be able to check in on mm-hmm. it? Or is someone so, going to look after it? Or is the kiln I mean, turned off? What, is, what happened? <laughs> it doesn't have to be looked after. My name is on all my pieces, so it won't, hopefully, won't get lost. But I have three that I like glazed today, and then mm-hmm. they have to get refired. So I don't know when that's going to happen, but basically, the studio is going to be, the open studio is going to be um, available the two weeks that we have online classes from 10 to 5 so i can go in sometime like when i'm free i guess to work on more stuff and get st- more stuff ready for firing mm-hmm. and then i have two so i'm really excited about the ones <laughs> the one i made today um i hopefully it'll turn out right but i want to make a teapot mm-hmm. so i made the base shape and then wow. next time i come in i'm going to try to make like the spout and the mm-hmm. handle and then the topper so hopefully that works out but. wait okay i don't know if this is an actual like design of a teapot or if it's just an avatar but i was watching avatar the other oh my night gosh. Know, like uncle ira is really into tea and he has a teapot that like instead of the handle being curved on the top it's like a a side stick oh, oh and like then you a, hold it like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. is that like yeah, that's, that's an actual a, design yeah it's a design oh, oh that's, that's so common. cool yeah. yeah you should make yours like that i don't really like, like that. Just taking requests a big stick on the side I don't know. It seems easier than doing like yeah, a curved handle though. Yeah, it's probably easier, but I don't like the aesthetics of it. Okay, okay. Yeah, me can make it. <laughs> yeah, you make it. <laughs> sure. Like, let me take my pottery class. Um, something else I did this past weekend actually, but after we recorded our last podcast mm-hmm. episode was, um, I took pictures for the uh, mixed represented photo gallery that oh. was supposed to be hosted i think it's like canceled as a now. photographer oh i saw savannah today and they're gonna make it like an online thing okay yeah. okay mm-hmm. um yeah it's gonna be an online i guess gallery now and it's um i wasn't the photographer you're the I was model the, i was 
the muscle. Oh, oh why are you gosh. so shocked? <laughs> I, I'm shocked too. It was very awkward, but it's because um, Mixed Represented is hosted by MBSA, which is the multiracial, multiracial, biracial mm-hmm. student association. And so in that category, they count um, adoptees too. How did they find you? Uh, actually found them because I've heard of this organization through Linda's friend, Savannah. She used to be the president of it. Mm-hmm. And then I went to one of the galleries like a year ago or two years ago, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah. But like, it was to be very vulnerable because they ask you to also share like a part like a story mm-hmm. or like some part of your identity with them mm-hmm. so i didn't think i was ready for that and then this year i saw on their facebook that they were asking for like model oh. people model people model <laughs> and uh, i was like okay it's my senior year i'm gonna do it mm-hmm. so before i even knew that it would be canceled or coronavirus i did that on um sunday and like took photos with um like one of your friends Heather and it was like very awkward because (laughs) I'm not a good model and she's very professional Uh and she was like having me lay down or like tilt my head in different angles very artsy I'm very awkward but I'm excited to see how it turns out also it ties into what we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) okay yes one of the yeah I could put it on my LinkedIn but I guess (laughs) Linda's gonna transition to our topic for today which is Ming's origin. Okay, not just my origin. We could talk origin story. Okay, we can talk about me and Sally's supplemental origins. Or, like, dive in as you wish, because, well, I guess this episode is going to be about adoption, Mm -hmm. and specifically, like, Asian adoption, or transracial transracial adoption, Mm -hmm. but, like, that's not just my story. There's a lot of other people who are adopted, and you guys may have experiences with people adopted, or may be able to relate to some of the stuff we talk about, so, like, it's not Mm -hmm. about me, guys. But but it actually is. Okay, okay. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, Okay, so so starting off with Mm -hmm. a brief history about Asian adoption. So it was started from the Korean War in the 1950s, where biracial kids were the first generation and they were taboo in Korean society. And then adoption was also used to foster a better relationship with Korea after the war, Mm -hmm. the relationship between U.S. and Korea, where Mm -hmm. U.S. soldiers would build orphanages in Korea. And this is part of something called militarized humanitarianism. Mm -hmm. Um, So also U.S. law prohibited families in in america from adopting more than two children from abroad but in 1955 uh, two senators from oregon sponsored a bill for relief of certain korean war orphans which congress passed specifically to allow the holtz um which is like a couple Mm -hmm. to adopt four boys and four girls and then yeah so the holtz established the holt adoption program i think me and me were looking at their website the other day the the origin yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that whole thing, the Congress and the Holtz established in the institutionalization of adopting orphans, and this was also when the Cold War was around, so Korean adoption was part of the Orientalism that was part of the Cold War as a form of assimilation. Mm-hmm. And after that, during the 1980s, there was what was called the boom of the 1980s, where the birth control availability rose in the U.S. during the 1970s. And then from 1960s to now, at least 200,000 Korean children have been adopted to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And this kind of set the scene for big business for Korean agencies. So they take in pregnant women to kind of care for them and facilitate the mm-hmm. adoption process. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note that um, at the beginning, like Linda was saying, that it came because there was a need. Like um, U.S. soldiers were um, like impregnate i don't know like u.s soldiers and korean women like would have kids and then like most of the time the korean soldier or the american soldier couldn't take them back to america or like the korean women were single or like couldn't take care of these kids and they were biracial so there was like all that taboo mm-hmm. so yeah. there was a need for the all these orphans to be taken care of but then i guess um as linda was saying it kind of moved into a more of like an established like industry not industry but like, like commodification of it, it was adoption. definitely like a form of like okay we have these orphans but like it's we're... more like a company or almost you of, could say like yeah. like like the need is gone but uh-huh. people still want to adopt so like where do those kids i come thought from? it was interesting that like the new york times article that you linked mm-hmm. um do you want to what is it called oh yeah so um all this information that we're getting like about the history and notes and stuff is from i took a class um, last year actually about Korean and Chinese adoption and so all of my notes from that are uh, from that class and then 
one of the first um, lectures we had was based on this New York Times article called Why a Generation of Adoptees is Returning to South Korea. And it kind of laid out the history and then how this movement of like adoptees returning to their home countries. So a lot of this information is from that article or from my notes. So we mm-hmm. can have that linked in the yeah. description. But So yeah, I thought it was interesting that this article taught me a lot about, it's like before I didn't know about like how institutionalized i guess adoption was Mm -hmm. and then they also went into how some companies when they didn't have like they would kind of force the Mm -hmm. mothers to give up the kids or they would even steal the kids from Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. um as a way to like keep the supply i guess of the children because Mm -hmm. they kind of viewed adoption as like a like like i said before a company like a way to get money because the parents that are coming here to adopt the children have to pay a lot, like mm-hmm. a really big sum of money in order to adopt them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't know about this part of adoption. Like I've only seen the good, I guess the good, mm-hmm. like the sugar-coated part. Mm-hmm. And like no one really talks about this other side of adoption. Yeah, because okay, cause obviously I'm adopted. So uh-huh. I was raised definitely with that mentality of like, oh, adoption is like helping people, yeah. children in need. And like it's a really great thing. And like you were... For my family specifically, it had a religious lens where it was like, you know, it was God's plan for you to be adopted and like, this is a special thing. And then so going into this class, I was like, okay, we're going to learn about adoption, like the history of it. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that there there's so much like critique about it, critique about it and like back backlash kind of Mm -hmm. from some communities or there's it is a very calm. I think on the surface, it seems pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you're adopting orphans. But because of the history and, like, from different yeah, countries. Where do orphans come from? And, like, the different races and na- nations. There's mm-hmm. just so much complex complexity behind it all that, yeah, this um, class actually blew my mind. Yeah. And it was pretty difficult for some, like, lectures to sit on it. But, mm-hmm. like, like it, it illuminated a lot of stuff that I didn't even know about. Something that had happened to me, really. Mm-hmm. What yeah. was it like being, like, an adopted person in the class? Were there other adopted people? I was actually the only person um which was not what i was expecting i thought yeah because i know other adopted people like Mm -hmm. around campus and i thought that there would be more but it was mostly it was just me who's adopted um personally and then there were a lot of people who were like oh my cousin is adopted or my sister's adopted Mm -hmm. and um when because the professor had us go around it was like a smallish class 20 people and so Mm -hmm. she had us goes around and like what is your connection to adoption or why are you interested in it and when people said that, I was like, oh, this will be great. Like, they have a different perspective and, like, um, they have people in their family. So it'll be almost like listening to my family. Mm-hmm. But I found that those people that had relatives were almost more critical. Like, not critical, but almost more um, patronizing mm-hmm. in a way to, like, adopted people. And I had to kind of, because I'm kind of passive in classes. So I, I, I don't, like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, like, raise my hand and be like, actually, or, like, that makes me feel like this. But, like, internally, I was like, wow okay so i'm still a baby in your eyes great like Mm -hmm. i think that happens a lot in adoption where because most orphans that are being adopted are children or babies but it like carries on in a way the way that people like talk about them that they Mm -hmm. need saving or like i don't know sometimes it's just very patronizing and i think that's like something like my own problems with like like family members i know that are kind of patronizing Uh stuff like that so yeah but it was interesting. The teacher was very... She had done research. Um, was the teacher adopted? No. Uh, she was from Korea, actually. Mm-hmm. She's a grad student from Korea. And uh, she had done all of her research in adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was very educated. and But she didn't, like, have personal connections to adoption, which, again, mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. But she was very, like, respectful of it. Um, yeah, it was a very heavy discussion-based class. So sometimes I would, like, leave and I would immediately, like, text... Stefan or you sometimes like uh that was like <laughs> I don't like this class kind of thing mm-hmm. and your big Peter was in it too and like wow. we would always talk after class like <laughs> I don't know but it was good it was good so that's a little bit of history of Korean um adoption specifically and since Korea was the uh, original um all, honestly the original like transnational adoption beginning mm-hmm. yeah like because from korea it expanded to other asian countries like and korea still has like the largest mm-hmm. amount of adoptees from there yeah they overall have the largest mm-hmm. amount but it has slowed down in comparison yeah. to other countries because they've started putting um like laws into place and regulated mm-hmm. it more so it's definitely slowed down but from there i went like to china um and to other countries africa especially south america but since i'm from china i'll, I'll talk a little bit about the history of chinese adoption 
So the first adoption law that allowed it happened in 1991, and a lot of scholars and people say it's because of the family planning policy they had that one child policy i think everyone mm-hmm. like knows like mm-hmm. yeah you're only allowed to have one child that's pretty recent too that they yeah that. right mm-hmm. like only a few years yeah maybe? during our lifespan mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um something that what we talked about in class was this was a really interesting time for china because people even though you have a one child policy people are still going to have more than one child like mm-hmm. sometimes it just happens yeah. mm-hmm. i don't know they already had multiple children and so um, one of the things we talked about was for China to promote domestic adoption for like other parents in China to adopt Chinese orphans mm. would be seen as a failure of the government of enforcing that policy. Oh, like, I see. They didn't enforce the policy enough or they don't have the right resources in place that we can't prevent our citizens from like having too many kids. Yeah. So it's seen as a failure. So that's why China is seen as way more willing to have... Um, overseas adoptions Mm -hmm. um that's just one theory but we talked about a lot in class and so in the 1990s korean and domestic adoption in the u.s decreased um like linda said a lot of that happened in the 70s because birth control options happened so there were less u.s orphans or like you know they wanted to look elsewhere Mm -hmm. and so korean and uh, u.s adoptions decreased and chinese russian and romanian adoptions romanian i don't know we never talked about that, but it did increase. <laughs> um, and so China had to match this almost supply and demand. And so you'll see some documentaries out there that are pretty sketchy where it's like these orphanages that I don't know where are these children coming from, where they're like not mm-hmm. taking well care of. But so um, a lot of U.S. people, white families specifically, wanted to go to China because they saw it as a place where you can get healthy kids. Because other places would only adopt out kids with special needs or like... Mm-hmm. Um, like in the U.S.? Mainly. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, here you could go to China and be assured, oh, like I'll get like a normal, quote, child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, a lot of girls were given that yeah. for adoption because of the one-child policy. Like they want yeah. their one child to be a boy. Right. So they yeah. care on the family name. So there were a lot of girls up for adoption. I think... Um, well, I'll talk about this later. But mm-hmm. um, and so there were also with China, they had a very strict like... Um, Closed adoption is the term where, like, there's no contact with birth parents after the adoption takes place. Mm-hmm. Like, like nothing. Like, in some other countries or America, you're able to, like, kind of trace back your records. But with China, they kind of kept it very closed. And they would place the children with any type of parent, single, sometimes LGBT. So it was, like, better options, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so something else we talked about in class was Chinese birth parents were seen as healthy victims, quote-unquote, because... You didn't have to worry that the parents or children would be malnourished or have like drug addictions, unlike the perception that of U.S. orphans. Like, like if they have to give up their kid, there must be something like, wrong. With yeah, them, right. Mm-hmm. Or they must be addicted to something. Mm-hmm. Or like, um, going to China would ensure that oh, I don't have to worry about that. I'm getting like a clean kid or like a a kid that doesn't have any like baggage, baggage mm-hmm. really. So like baggage free. Um, so that's kind of like the mentality of it, I guess. But, of course, if you ask, like, my parents or, like, any other adopted family, like, there's all sorts of um, reasons why. Mm. But um, some statistics, only, though only 7,000 children were adopted into the U.S. in the 1990s, in 2004, it peaked of international adoptions to 23,000 from China, Russia, Guatemala, South Korea, Ukraine, Colombia, Ethiopia, etc. A bunch of countries. So, that 2004, which is, I guess it's kind of recent like that's actually that's after when 16 we years were yeah born, so. yeah it's after we were born so that was the peak of international adoption probably around the time your sister is born yeah mm-hmm. yeah um and then it says here that at least uh 126,000 u.s adoptees from the asia pacific island area between 1999 and 2018 mm-hmm. according to the u.s state department which is very like 2018 was just two years ago so it's a lot of kids adopted and then eventually with all this like sketchy business practices happening and like especially in other countries where it's not regulated like china did have some regulation but like in other countries like sally was saying there would be a lot of trafficking Mm -hmm. issues or like really like unclear yeah Yeah. or like there were some cases actually where the child still had parents or relatives Mm -hmm. but they were defined as orphans because only one parent had died or like um, they couldn't contact the parents so it was like they it was clear that they had family but they were still considered orphans mm-hmm. 
there's one a part of the article that I read. It was like there's a like a government organization or company that like acted like they're providing care for the mm-hmm. single mothers, and then they just ended up taking the child and yeah. not give, helping them at all. That kind of reflects what's going on at the yeah. border right now with the detention centers and things like that, where mm-hmm. they would take kids out and put them up for adoption when the parent is still like alive and stuff. They're just in the detention but center. But that makes me like so questionable of the like the adoptive parents. Like, how are you adopting these kids and not like wondering? Not questioning. Yeah, yeah, where are these kids coming from? All of a sudden, like, I don't yeah. know. Because no one really questions, at least in my opinion, no one can question like parents who adopt kids because it's the societal perception that they're doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. That without them, like, the kid w- wouldn't have a home and things like that. So they can still have, like, maintain their, like, pure intentions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have it in the notes here, but I remember talking about it in class where the U.S. has a big history, of course, of, like, religion and stuff like that, where, mm-hmm. like, um, a religious background being reasoning to adopt kids is a very, like, historical thing in this country. And so, like, I think that's where that mentality is coming from. Like, they're doing... If you're not gonna say God's work, then they're doing like a good thing mm-hmm. in adopting. So that's that's part of the history of it. And then finally, the Hague Convention was finally passed um, as an international agreement between different countries to prevent child trafficking and try to keep better like tabs on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like know how well they've done, but it's a thing that <laughs> it's was a passed. recent thing. Um, yeah, it was. I don't I don't have the date. I don't remember, but it was fairly recent. Mm-hmm. So they passed it um, to hopefully curb that, but. Yeah, that's a little bit brief history of adoption. That was like my class in like what five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like the crash course, crash course, course adoption <laughs> history. Um, of course, there's a lot more to talk about than just the history of adoption. Mm-hmm. But um. so moving on to <laughs> Ming's story. So how did the stuff that you learned in class relate to like how your own um, story? Went? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I just tell my story. Yeah, I just start from yeah. your story. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, there's definitely like been additions to the story as uh-huh. I find out more information. But basically, um, what I was always told when I was growing up was that whole like religious story of like, it was God's intention for you to be in this family and like, you were special, you're supposed to be here. Um, and that's all I knew. Like Linda asked me earlier if I ever remember when I found out I was adopted. Mm-hmm. I have like no memory like of ever finding out that I was adopted. So it's, you just knew you were adopted? It's always been like, a thing i don't know mm-hmm. like they they must have told me at some point yeah but like maybe i was so young that it's just and also because i am chinese and my mother is white like it's like obvious it, like yeah. i'm definitely not her birth child <laughs> so something happened but like yeah always growing up i never questioned it everyone around me knew because mm-hmm. i went to a pretty small private school so like people knew they knew my family and stuff like that so i never had to explain it really until like middle school when i started going to public school oh um yeah so it was always like a fact of life for me mm-hmm and let's see i was adopted when i was nine months old from um china obviously do you know what province um area? the Jiangxi province mm-hmm. uh, in yihong county um and i only found that out recently mm-hmm. but as far as i knew like i would feel so embarrassed when people were asked me oh what part of china are you from and i would be like i don't even know mm-hmm. like i didn't know for the longest time i would just say like i don't know somewhere by beijing i don't know like china <laughs> um yeah, so I was adopted from there at nine months old, and my mom came with my grandparents to China, mm-hmm. and because um, they had to do all the paperwork in China, and then I was like taken back in July of 1999 to the U.S. Um, yeah, and that's how I was ad- adopted. I guess that's the short story of it. Later, I would find out. Actually, like like last year, I found out that um, there was actually more documentation behind it, and my mom showed me some of it, and it was like a little like note that. I guess my birth mother wrote. I mean, the thing yeah. is, after this class, I kind of question a lot of things, right? Like, yeah. after hearing about all of this and, like, the issues with trafficking, like, uh-huh. what's real and what's I don't know. Like, I'm told that this note was pinned to me when I was found, like, outside the orphanage. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea. What like, does it say? So, basically, it says that, um, it says when I was born. So, mm-hmm. October 18th is not a guess. Like, if you're believing that this note is real, it's mm-hmm. not a guess. Like, it says October 18th and the year, and it said, like, I can't take care of her anymore or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, please take care of her. Look after her. Um, yeah. When I first read it, I was, like, so teary because, like, I don't know. I grew up with the idea that it was God's fate, but I, I don't know. I just figured, like, oh, I'm, I was meant to be adopted, but, like, mm-hmm. the fact that, like, 
seeing that note was like someone like they wanted to take care of yeah, you mm-hmm. and they just couldn't so mm-hmm. it's like it was kind of like a shift in the story i'd been told right mm-hmm. like that there was intention behind it i don't know it's anyway and then there was more documentation that said like they looked for my parents or birth mother for like six months or so in the area and they hung up flyers apparently and they couldn't find anything about her so your adoption agency was like an open adoption kind of so um i think okay first there's a difference between orphanage and adoption agency okay the orphanage was a chinese orphanage it was Mm -hmm. run by um chinese like the go- I don't know if it was the government, but it was definitely run by Chinese. And so the adoption agencies are kind of like, um, yeah, agencies that you go through. So my mom never worked directly with the orphanage. Mm-hmm. She always went through this agency that had, like, Chinese speakers, but it was founded in America. Oh, okay. Um, and so you can – it's like when you're trying to, like, buy a house and there's different realtors. Yeah. Tr- oh, my God. This like so, so fucked up. <laughs> but, yeah, like, there's different people you can uh-huh. go through. You have options. And so the orphanage is who had all the, like, information about, like, they were looking for my family and stuff like that. And then I guess after that six months, they decided that they couldn't find anything. So mm-hmm. then they put me in the orphanage and was like, she's available for adoption. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the agency, they can, like, work with the orphanage to, like, connect the adoptive parent with the child. Mm-hmm. So, like, the agency would never, because also, I don't know how I feel about this, but it is they are earning money in mm-hmm. some way so the agency it would not be in their it was a conflict of interest yeah. yeah it would not be in their best interest to put effort into six months of trying to search yeah. for my family not trying to say that they like would like steal a child i don't know but like like they don't care that much yeah it's the orphanage yeah it was definitely the chinese yeah. orphanage were the ones that were looking for me okay. um and yeah, so that's what I learned, and then I was looking at photos of me, and I realized, this is kind of a side note, it's not really about the story, but, like, I always thought I, like, looked like a big child, or, like, kind of chubby and all of that, like that, and my mom told me that when she actually came to get me, I was very skinny and underweight, and the reason why I looked really big in photos is because they were dressing the babies up in, like, layers and layers of clothes to make them appear, like, healthier, healthy and fat oh. and plump and kind of, like, wow, like, a chubby baby's so cute. Mm-hmm. And then they would send those photos to the adoption agency who would share it to the parents. Mm-hmm. But in reality, my mom said she was very surprised when she got me that I was, like, so skinny, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know. I don't right, know. They weren't she, taking care of, like, kids. I don't, I don't know about the orphanage itself, but, like, maybe I was just, like, an underweight baby. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, like, those little details that add in um yeah yeah is there more stuff that you want to find out um so i know the name of the orphanage and i've like tried to i've looked it up online and there's one website that's super sketchy (laughs) and you know what's really weird it shows the same exact photos like the same angles and everything of the orphanage as my mom's photos of the orphanage Mm -hmm. so this agency or the orphanage didn't allow the adoptive parents to come to the orphanage so my mom never saw the orphanage the way she got me was the orphanage workers brought me to a hotel so those photos Mm -hmm. were from the agency not your mom's pictures right so the photos she was like Uh oh i gave my camera or something or like they gave me the photos Uh of the orphanage and so i just find it very odd that Mm. they're the exact same angles of the photos online of this one website but i don't know yeah so there's (laughs) a lot of like layers i mean on one hand it could be privacy but also yeah. there i feel like there should be more transparency yeah. or like a more effort towards i also transparency. Just feel yeah there should have been a better bigger push not to blame my mom or any specific parent but like maybe on the agency's behalf they should be like why can't the parents see the mm-hmm. orphanage mm. like why are you bringing the child to the hotel i don't know that, that always seemed off to me in that story but that's how i like arrived i guess and got there mm. um but yeah, I, I don't know about your question of do I want to find out more. I have the orphanage. I have where I'm from. Like, I didn't have that for a while, and I didn't even have my Chinese name, Huang Ming, for a while mm-hmm. because my mom knew it, but, like, she didn't know how to say it or, like, I don't know. It was just, like, I was named Ming, and so that's what I get kept. And mm-hmm. so that part of me, even though it's, like, only one, it's yellow, I guess. It is, yeah. like, not mm-hmm. that big, but it's, like, it's kind of meaningful to me, I guess, in that way. Um, I don't know. I've always been asked when I was little, do I want to find my parents? Mm-hmm. Mm. But 
it's always like that same thing where oh actually okay this is what i wanted to um read so last year um one of the first times i heard in another adoptee story was um this author named nicole chung came to campus and she's a korean adoptee and she's Did like you read oh. a book? yeah i would actually okay i started reading it and then i stopped and now i'm reading it again oh. <laughs> like i started again i have it with me actually uh-huh. nicole chung um all you'll ever know and she writes about her like story in her history of being an adoptee and so she has a lot of quotes that are related to and so i just pulled this one or was it from her or was it from the article i don't remember actually <laughs> they both had really relatable quotes mm-hmm. but this one quote was um how many educational opportunities must oh I that's mark- from the article oh, okay okay <laughs> how many educational opportunities must i mark on my tally sheet before i can say it was worth losing my mother how can i adopt the way her terrible loss against the burden of gratitude she feels um she has for her adoptive country and parents and so um this is something that like really put into like words what i've always thought growing up like i never talked about the adoption with my mom Mm -hmm. just because she didn't bring it up and also because of this i felt like questioning anything about my story talking about it or like wanting to know more is almost like a betrayal like Mm. almost like as a you're not my real mom and I want to know more about my real mom yeah. kind of thing. Mm. Kind of like you're not grateful. For yeah. It. So it was always like, I always had these questions, but I was too afraid to ask. And even now, like asking for that do- those papers was only because mm-hmm. I told her I was a taking an adoption class and she offered it to me. Mm-hmm. I would have never like asked her and I still don't really talk to her about these things because it's like that feeling of like, you kind of have to be grateful. And I she also raised me and I love her as a mom. So like, how dare I like, like try to want more yeah like, try to go like, back to the past it's almost like saying you don't like it that's why like in our family and in a lot of adoptee families saying like oh who's your real mom is like such a like that real mom thing is such a contested term mm. like that is if you say that to any especially the parents that'll that'll get them all riled <laughs> up triggered. yeah yeah like really trail them because yeah i bet um we've always said like birth parent and like my mom is my mom my birth uh-huh. parent is yeah my yeah so yeah anyway that's kind of like I guess a quote that sums up my feelings a lot growing up, mm-hmm. I'd say. Does your sister kind of think of, do you talk about these things with your sister since she's also an adoptee? Um, yeah, so my sister is adopted from Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually, we've only talked about, we've never talked about adoption itself. Okay, when I was used to be really little, not mm-hmm. okay, not really little, but <laughs> I was like, I don't know, seven or eight, my sister would always misbehave like all the time like she would just throw temper tantrums and be like really hard to like manage i guess and uh, my mom tried her best and like she's a single mother so it was like hard to balance two kids and a job i guess whatever and so i would always be that like i guess if you want to say model minority (laughs) child or like the child that always behaved Uh and so i would always whisper to my sister like like okay i feel really bad saying this now but i would always tell her like you should be grateful that you were adopted like why are you acting like this like you know you were adopted like uh-huh. yeah. telling her like you were adopted why are you acting so badly or like you should treat mom better or stuff uh-huh. like that mm-hmm. i regret it now but like that's how i that's how i spoke to her uh-huh. so that's, that's probably how you felt too yeah like, i guess internalized right mm-hmm, and yeah. so that's the extent to which we've talked about adoption mm-hmm. here and there we've talked about like russian culture and like she interested in okay sometimes <laughs> okay i told linda this dude sometimes she'll say like i remember when she learned that russia was part of asia I'm Asian. And she <laughs> came, yeah, she came back to school. Oh, came home from school. Was like, Ming, I'm Asian too. Yeah. And I was like, you are not Asian. <laughs> are you kidding? And like, we were young at the time. Uh-huh. And that conversation just always come. Anytime she mentions anything about like being Asian or like, oh, we're, we're both on the same continent. I'm like, no, we're not. Because <laughs> I guess that like, she doesn't experience the same thing we've never talked about what mm-hmm. it's like for her to be adopted but i guess i've always always assumed that she's white like caucasian mm-hmm. on the skin yeah. and like to anyone that looks at her that doesn't know her family she fits in with our family mm-hmm. you would say like you guys have all seen her like yeah. she fits in and i don't and so her always saying that she's asian was always kind of like a like trying to claim something you're not because mm-hmm. you don't understand what it's like to like because whenever we would go out in public, they'd always look at me or be like, like, oh, she's your friend, right? Oh, and it's mm-hmm. like, Nina, as far as I know, has never experienced that. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like, not appropriation, but like, mm-hmm. it's like 
It's like not the same. Claiming something yeah. like yeah, I don't know. I get really, I still get kind yeah. of annoyed at her. She doesn't do it anymore, but like, yeah, it, it would be annoying. So we've never really talked about it, though, mm-hmm. and she doesn't seem that interested in Russian culture. Or I guess we've never talked about it. And I think, like me myself, I don't know. Do you remember when you met me freshman year? I was like no idea about Chinese culture at oh, all. I always felt bad because whenever you would come to my house and talk to my mom, my mom would be like, Ming, like, learn Chinese <gasps> oh, and, yeah. like, like try all these things. And then at first I'll be like, Mom, like, uh, you shouldn't be, like, putting all this pressure mm-hmm. on people, blah, blah, blah. But I think, like, when we got closer, you kind of knew that that's just, like, how my mom is. Like, when races yell stuff, like, the how to us on the street, she'd be like, oh, you're not saying it right. <laughs> like, you say better. So I think, yeah, that was kind of what i forgot what i was responding to but yeah, 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 yeah. about like not having that culture mm-hmm. like when i before high school like literally i can see the line of where that changed is i was like had no connection to chinese culture at all or asian culture at mm-hmm. all and it was like i was basically like a white girl i guess like interested into in like taylor swift and all this horses. stuff and like <laughs> okay i guess horse girl's a white girl thing but yeah and then it wasn't until like i eventually yeah i met you guys but we've always talked about that but it was like really that was the change and i think honestly if i hadn't met you guys i would still be in the same like place now where it's interesting because i've met other chinese adoptees even and like some of them don't care about chinese culture or mm-hmm. like don't have any interest about learning that or anytime I try to talk to them about like what it's like to like learn Chinese or like I don't know do you have Asian friends that's actually my experience when I had um so growing up in my neighbor my old neighborhood um like I had these neighborhood friends we we all do the swim team together Mm -hmm. that's how we got close (laughs) and it was nice because we could like walk to each other's houses so we're pretty like if you think about like a a, whatever like a childhood friend Mm -hmm. like those were my neighborhood friends, and they, like, I would go over to their houses often, and, like, they had no interest in, I guess, learning about Asian culture, mm. and they were happy with, like, where they were, and, mm. but I thought it was interesting that one of my friends, um, she was adopted, but her, like, brother, her younger brother was born from her, her like, adopted family, so I, I never talked to her about it, but, like, I always wondered, like, how she would kind of, like, like, how would, I don't know, like, how would she feel like being in a family where like she also has a sibling that's like, from her adopted mm. family so yeah i don't know i don't know like i there adoption chinese adoption specifically there's just so many different like cuz we know a girl now mm-hmm. in tassa who mm-hmm. has a asian sounding last name and yeah. so for the longest time i didn't realize she was adopted and then someone told me i guess which i have issues with other people talking about okay but anyway someone told us that she was adopted and then her dad is chinese or something like like there's mm-hmm. there could be so many different combinations and i feel yeah. like that if i had had that that would have been just one more step towards like knowing my culture i guess yeah. or like feeling more connected because it's hard growing up in a family that like doesn't talk about if they do talk about chinese culture it's about like happy new year and let's get Chinese food and, like, mm-hmm. fortune cookies. Like, mm-hmm. it's, so like, it's not, like, it's not identity or issue. Yo, so. no, it's yeah. very, like, what are we going to eat? Chinese mm-hmm. food. It's like that. And it's always being called, like, banana. I've never been called banana. I've been called banana by, like, other Asians. But, like, mm-hmm. never by white people. White, white people has always been, like, oh, you're so lucky to be adopted. Like, mm-hmm. you must be so grateful to your parents. Or, like, like, I'm so glad you're here now. Like, that sort of kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, but I, it, I guess they don't really know how to talk about mm-hmm. like things like Asian culture and like they don't know how to introduce it to you because they yeah. don't have it themselves. So there's also a problem with like trans national national adoption. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's a big like problem because I was always we used to have these um Chinese adoption um get together <laughs> reunions um from the same agency like kids that were adopted from the same we'd like get together and i was always jealous like the last reunion we had was like when i was like maybe six and this one girl was like she's adopted too and her parents mm-hmm. were white but she went to chinese school oh. like her parents mm-hmm. put her in chinese school and she was like talking about how oh my god i have all this like chinese homework and like <laughs> oh my god i'm like learning chinese and it's like so much work on the weekends but i was so jealous of her like i wanted, wanted that to i wanted did you ask her mom to go to chinese school I don't, I don't remember doing it at the time. I have asked her since. Mm-hmm. Um, and her response was she didn't realize it was, like, 
that necessary or something about how she didn't want to put me in more school like after like you know mm-hmm. our, like, tradi- yeah. like like Monday through it's Friday school or she didn't realize the extent to which it mattered to me but uh-huh. I do remember I still remember that feel- I don't even remember the girl's name I just remember <laughs> feeling like wow like I wish my parents forced me to go to Chinese school mm-hmm. like how did she get parent okay this sounds really bad yeah but like how did she get parents who put We're that involved. thought into yeah. it yeah because some adoptive parents do like they will take their kids to Chinese school or like or introduce them to other Chinese adoptees mm-hmm. and stuff like that and I just felt like my mom like as much as she loved me and cares about me she like maybe didn't realize how what is that word when like something is really potent or salient salient I guess <laughs> which is kind of crazy because that's like your race and that's how a lot of people judge you by but I guess she didn't mm-hmm. realize anyway mm-hmm. um what I wanted to say from this was from class we talked a lot about this, um, and there f- we talked about, like, the four different, like, methods of assimilating your child or how a parent connects um, the child to their Chinese culture. And I remember when I learned this in class last year, I was like, whoa, like, I can definitely, like, categorize Category, this. Like, yeah. I know, like, how I was treated. And so these researchers found four main ways, and one of them – so there's two extremes, one of them being assimilation. And it's, like, what do you imagine where you, like, consciously work against – any part of your of your child's culture from like where they were adopted from so you like you name your child with a a white name fully you don't introduce them to anything related to their culture you almost kind of like intentionally exclude not exclude them but like intentionally like try to bring them into your culture like Mm -hmm. for some they use an example for some kids they're adopted at an age where they can speak the language Mm -hmm. like where they're like two or three and they'll intentionally like like not let them speak that language that Um. sort of thing um, the next one is celebrating plurality. And it's kind of like the people who are like um, trying to celebrate diversity, I guess. A lot of times it happens when you're, the adoptive couple's interracial, like one of them being Asian or Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so they try to like blend those two cultures. Um, and then the next one is the balancing act, which is um, wait, birth history is more closely related to the present. And choosing things Chinese was more deliberate, such as like giving your um child a chinese name mm-hmm. and attempt to connect the two sides um but it was like very intentional like what is you were gonna expose so i feel like for me this was kind of what it was was mm-hmm. like i kept my mom kept my chinese ming for me but it was like but not Huang me i don't know why she didn't keep that or it's like very intentional like like i'm not gonna prevent you from hanging out with your chinese yeah. friends or like learning more and exploring that's great but i'm also not gonna like enforce help it. you and yeah. like further that unless you like i don't know that's kind of how i felt and then the final the other extreme on the other end is immersion which is the ideal i think most people would say where Mm -hmm. you have a sustained involvement with chinese activities not just for chinese new year or Mm -hmm. for like one time thing it's like Mm -hmm. you're putting them in chinese school you're like introducing them to other families and so it's when the family itself becomes transracial it's not just the child who has Mm -hmm. to deal with like Mm -hmm. because it's always like oh you're adopted you're like a transnational adoptee but what about the family like yeah you're part of this family now so this whole family should be like experiencing and going through that but do you feel like it might go too far though like when white parents try to come into all these like chinese spaces mm-hmm. with the gateway that their child is I chinese i think that goes back to like the celebrating plurality narrative um i think because immersion is supposed to be like a more balanced but i guess it mm-hmm. could go too far but celebrating plurality is almost like celebrating that diversity mm-hmm. but also saying like I kind of don't see the difference. Like, I don't oh, see that okay. color. Like, we're all... It's like when people say, I don't see... I'll say race. race. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that, where, like, you're, like... Some parents will be, like, I acknowledge our differences, but others mm. will intentionally, like, no, we're all mm-hmm. one. Like, like the nature mm-hmm. versus, yeah. like, nurture Yeah. Thing. So it's interesting how they, have like, had these different categories, I guess. And so I think it definitely shapes the things because I remember when I came to college and I met this one girl who was a Chinese adoptee mm-hmm. super excited um she's the same age as me but when we interact we have no like there nothing. is nothing in common she I don't know how she was which category she was <laughs> raised in but like I'm like oh are you in any Asian orgs or like anything like that and she's like no like she has no interest sometimes she'll like joke about her history of being adopted or like her name and I'm just like Mm-hmm. wow like i guess some people don't even yeah. like try to think about adoption or mm-hmm. they kind of like don't want to yeah, or like, they just want to act like 
they were never it, it might never be happened. easier yeah. if they were raised in like a more yeah. asian place mm-hmm. whether or, or a more white place like if they just yeah. want to assimilate with the like, with the majority yeah, yeah majority. if you yeah. go either way especially for i think this is easy because my name is kind of like confusing to a lot of people i was just talking to Stefan about it, how like when he first met me he talked to albert after because he was kind of confused about like she has like an Asian name but like when you first meet someone who has that white name and a white last name like mm-hmm. you can kind of immerse yourselves into that like it's easier mm. and it's more like easy to be accepted in some mm-hmm. ways it's not like the first dead giveaway where someone thinks that there's i don't know but yeah like sometimes it's more painful for other people and i think growing up in pg county really like helped shape me in that way where like i never because i'm reading the book by nicole chung right now and she's talking about how she grew up outside of seattle in what well, she grew up in oregon actually and she was the only asian person so her whole childhood she was made fun of and she hated being asian like she actively wished she was white mm-hmm. and i have never once felt that like even being in a whole white family and going to ohio where i am mm-hmm. the only like person of color in the room mm-hmm. or in the like grocery store like i've never <laughs> never wanted to not be asian so yeah i guess it's different yeah and i it really depends how you're raised and who you're friends with and like the environments you're in but it's true i've um actually also um i heard a lot of stories especially in that article about like um especially korean adoptees wanting to go back to mm-hmm. the country where they're adopted from and like i guess they say they want to reconnect mm-hmm. with their roots and kind of feel what it's like to live in the country that they were like forced out of mm-hmm. so yeah, there's that a, was interesting there's actually a lot of yeah. like like reverse commercialization yeah. i guess or like like now there are camps for adoptees and stuff like that or like yeah if you want to go back they'll give you they'll guide you on a tour and uh-huh. they'll introduce you to culture um and a lot of them end up yeah. living there like long term yeah after that there's some adoptees who if you talk to them about their birth parents like so now i'm in this i talked about this a few episodes ago where i'm in this facebook group now for adoptees mm, yeah, yeah. some they have very different views like some mm-hmm. people do not want to talk about their adoptive parents they they've reclaimed their um asian name that they were given at birth mm-hmm. in the orphanage they like have no connection to their adoptive parents they're really? very bitter and like they just feel like part of them was stolen and they mm-hmm. they there's a way for you to um say on the post if you want the parents to comment or not like to include their input mm-hmm. and some of them will be straight up like no adopted parent comments please like are there parents in the group too so there's one group that's like for parents and kids and then there's a group oh. that's just for the adoptees mm-hmm. and so in this general group you have to specify like if um parents are allowed to talk mm-hmm. and if it's not specified then they can't talk in it so like it's very controlled in that way and so some people are very like strict on it and me like i mean i obviously have a very still solid relationship with my birth parents so mm-hmm. Do you feel like the the conceptions around adopted parents is all the critiques about Asian parenting, about how, like Asian parents like beat their kids and it's like whole, the whole tiger mom thing? Do you kind of feel like it makes adopt like adoptive parents look better that they don't do that? That yeah, that they don't do that or they're not adhering to like the like problematic Asian parenting techniques. Hmm. I don't know. I've never thought about that in a way. Um I don't know people who I like who I've met who don't know I'm adopted like I guess they still look at my work ethic and they're mm, like they wouldn't model minority yeah they wouldn't yeah. second guess I'm still a model minority I guess and like mm. I've heard problematic things from people be like oh even though you're adopting you have white parents like you're still like it must be a, a genetic thing that you're like <laughs> so like good like I, someone at my middle school a teacher told that to me like mm-hmm. i always knew it was genetic and asians and this just proves it because like oh my god nurture what? over nature or nature over nurture <laughs> yeah like you can't win like someone actually once said to me like your sister like she's not that great at school but like <laughs> look at you and like wow. oh my god <laughs> i'm like okay but this is like one instance and like how are you gonna do that but yeah that's that's something that comes up where and some white parents intentionally adopt with that mindset of like their kids will be smart i'm getting a model minority child i'm getting Mm -hmm. a smart child i'm not gonna have to worry Mm -hmm. about so i don't know if that i don't think i can really answer your question in that way but that's my experience with it where um i don't know it's just like in me to like not i don't still have that even though my mom she was never really strict about grades Mm -hmm. but it's almost because like i was strict on myself about grades Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm But there are some other things that I wish she had been, like, like, I wish she had forced me to learn an instrument, like, as other, Mm -hmm. 
this Asian stereotype is said to have. Yeah. Well, you can project your wishes onto your future child. <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait for that. <laughs> Toss it down. But yeah, did you? This is how you grew up with um, adoptees. Mm-hmm. So you knew of like adoptees as a thing. Yeah, <laughs> some people yeah. don't. Like I don't know. It's like when I was talking to like. Uh-huh. The past president of TASA. What? He was, like, very, like, were you with me? He, or was it just me? He, we were walking one day, and he was like, you're adopted? And I'm like, wow, I can't believe that oh, happened to you. That sort of that's thing. That's so oh, weird. It's not like what me he would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I guess some people just, like, don't know how to react. I guess awkward. people haven't been exposed, or they don't really have, don't know people that are adopted, then they wouldn't know. But I guess since I was little, I was, I've been ex- exposed to people who were adopted. Yeah, and like, I had a childhood like, friend, had, too. It's just, like, a fact of life. Like, I didn't think of, I didn't think of you as, like, really that much different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, yeah. What about you, Linda? You said you grew up with someone? Yeah, I also had a childhood friend who was... Uh-huh adopted mm-hmm. but i remember i think that's why i asked about the parenting thing like going over to your house and being like jealous of how like mm. like chill her mom is mm. and comparing that i guess my parents are like, relatively chill too but it's still like the immigrant mm-hmm. like mindset like mindset still exists so i was like oh it's like so different like even though she's asian she still has this like super like laid-back household mm. oh yeah. that reminds me that one thing i did like not like i was like comparing my family to my adoptive friend's family and Mm -hmm. they would always spoil their children like they would buy them Mm -hmm. like for christmas i would get if i was lucky i would get one (laughs) gift for them it's like a given that we get at least like five different gifts for them Mm -hmm. for christmas and they would get like whatever they wanted like and they would always have like something if something i wanted something um they would always have it before me and like Mm -hmm. i always felt like resentful towards my parents when i was growing up because i always felt like i was like they, I don't know. I was always like your parents were mean to you. <laughs> they were not mean to me. They just wouldn't satisfy my. They wouldn't satisfy <laughs> my needs. Yeah, would, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have instant gratification. I was. Oh, okay. I always had to like work or like beg my parents for something if I really mm. wanted it. And for them, it seemed so easy, and like they were always felt felt like they didn't have to work for anything. And their parents were also like, sort of my friends. Their parents were pretty. They weren't like as strict as mine about grades but they were they were still enforcing like that mm. they had to study hard and it wasn't like they were completely left like all the rails <laughs> <laughs> but it was just a different kind of family dynamic mm-hmm. from mine like parenting style yeah which is yeah yeah i guess that reflects like the parents themselves because uh-huh. i don't know my mom was strict about some things but again i think in comparison to your parents she's pretty lenient on some other things like talking about birth control and stuff like that mm, that yeah. never happen but i've always kind of wanted that that was something that i dealt with like in middle school where i leaned way too hard into stereotypes because that's all the only thing i'd seen access, yeah. and so i didn't have any real okay i was i was thinking about this the other day and i was like oh i definitely had asian friends in middle school and then i was or in elementary school and then i was thinking about it, i was like wait she's actually from morocco <laughs> what what oh <laughs> i was like she's from morocco she's not asian but i guess it was like another like, person of color mm-hmm. like yeah a non-white person so i don't know but wait where was i going with this who knows i don't know yeah i don't know yeah friends in elementary school middle school like did you not have an asian friend in middle school then yeah okay i didn't have asian friends or like no one to connect to i guess what was i trying to say i just wanted like the stereotypes of like i want to be good at music and mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. able to be smart at math and i want to have like really strict parents who are forcing me to learn chinese and like i almost put that on myself as like i need okay mm-hmm. if my mom's not gonna do it i have to do it to myself mm-hmm. and so i i tried to learn chinese but it was too hard and so i gave up and then now you try to learn chinese by yourself in middle school yeah how i was like i'm gonna learn it and then <laughs> i couldn't at all and so then i was like okay then you're a bad asian so then i in the very beginning of like of high school so like eighth grade to like ninth grade that's when mm. i like lean the opposite way into like white culture i guess mm. of like the vlogbrothers <laughs> i don't <gasps> i guess that's not white culture but like very like away from anything that had to do with asia mm. or china mm. anything like that yeah. like i didn't want to acknowledge it i didn't want to talk about it so it's like always been a back and forth of my identity of like how much can i lean into this without feeling like i'm faking it mm-hmm. or without feeling like I, I don't belong to it but also like i can't just 
forget about it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's more stabilized now? I think it is. I think I've really, like, especially in college, has really, like, figured out my identity. I think it's helped from, like, the orgs I've been involved in, the people I've met. In your classes. Yeah, yeah, and, like, learning more just about the history of it and how it's, like, not on me at all. It's more of, like, this just bigger, like, institutional thing mm-hmm. that, like, I just happen to be in, I guess. And, yeah, so I've, like, accepted whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's interesting because Tassa is Taiwanese, so... Mm-hmm with like the whole taiwan like china mm-hmm. relationship and then sally is from hong kong so that I'm also not from hong kong my mom is, is from your hong mom kong. is from hong kong <laughs> and like the hong kong china relationship is also kind of like i guess i don't even know how to say it but do you feel like that's like a limiting factor in like getting to know like chinese culture yeah, because of all the stuff surrounding china especially mm-hmm. like not even like even before the whole like coronavirus thing mm-hmm. yeah I think I've talked about this earlier when we talked about orgs, but I think that almost like, especially the Chinese Taiwanese um, like conflict or their relationship or the history of it has almost like ever since I joined Tassa, like I felt way more comfortable in Tassa because mm-hmm. I think I talked about this earlier where it was like I never felt comfortable at CSA or with like really prideful Chinese people. I don't know how to say it, but like you know the the type that are yeah. very like. China, like that kind of like thing. Patriotic like, about China. Yeah, I've never felt comfortable in that because I would never measure up to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I would never be that Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so, by joining TASA and getting involved in Taiwanese culture, it's like still Asian culture and still has history with China, but it's like, okay, I don't have to measure up to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, because I would feel like, I remember when I went to CSA with Sally and I felt so like everyone it was talking in Chinese and like, there was so much about Chinese culture that I didn't know, mm-hmm. but at least when I went to Tassa or like Taiwanese stuff, like everyone was learning Taiwanese mm-hmm. culture. And there's like, a lot mm-hmm. more non-Taiwanese people in right, Tassa right. too. Yeah. It's more like not homogenic. Homogenic. Homogenous. Same. It wasn't the same thing. It's like it allowed for more exploring, in my opinion. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. I'm okay with not knowing. Eventually, I do want to learn more about China specifically and like. But, like, I'm okay where I am right now because mm-hmm. I still have a lot to learn, I guess. Okay, before we end this episode, I just want to toss in disclaimer, like we always tend to do, it seems, that um, adoption, as we've discussed, is a very personal thing specific to each adoptee and their family. So, Try not to generalize what I've said about my experiences and my feelings towards being adopted into other adoptees' experiences because it's not going to be the same, I assure you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And with that in mind, I hope that you were able to take something away and have an open mind. And hopefully you learned more about what adopt the adoption process and what goes through the mind of adoptees. And hopefully you can have more empathy through and be able to interact with them in a more meaningful way after this <laughs> so if you like this episode please follow us on instagram at movie pod and make sure to rate or review us on apple podcasts and feel free to dm us or email us at movingalong at gmail.com until next time bye, bye.